0: Genesis 19 and 20 really kind of give us the story and the history um, of a plain uh, where the cities were and the destruction of that plain. uh, There was a preparation that God gave them opportunity to repent, Uh, God's long-suffering, we see that here, and yet they chose not to trust God, and so... The unusual thing about this is, is that God had a man in Sodom. Now, he was supposed to be saved, and I think we know he was saved because we saw that in the Bible last week, but he didn't look like he was saved, didn't act like he was saved. He didn't do anything that looked like he was saved. He didn't talk about his faith. and didn't talk about his God. You wouldn't have ever known Lot was saved if you'd have went in to Sodom, and so... This uh, we will kind of move. I'm hoping tonight to just be able to move out of 19 and into 20 um, and then finish up. Somebody said, you, you, you're not going to finish Genesis. I said, I could, but it'd be so fast. You'd never catch up, okay? So I won't try that tonight. But the first thing we, we found, you know, Lot, Lot lost his witness and his respect. That's we he lost that in verse 14. And then we saw Lot lost his world. By resistance. Uh, you, you see, if everything you've got's in this world, one of these days you have nothing, right? He lost that. Like, then as you move on over, things start to go and he gets out of town. He can't even get his sons-in-law and his uh, daughters that married those sodomites to, to even get right with God. They laughed at him and mocked him and God said, you better get out of here, you better get out of here now because I can't do anything until I get you out. Now, I'm glad for that because that reminds me that God's not going to do his final judgment down here until he gets us out. Uh, that, that's weak now. Uh, that, you ought to be happy about that. God's going to get us out of here before he judges this world, especially the tribulation judgment that we find. And so we thank him for that. But as we go through Lot, Lost the third thing, he lost his wife. Now, you know, some people might be happy about that, but the Bible doesn't tell us where Lot was happy or not happy. I assume he was not happy. I assume he was burdened that he had lost his wife because she'd got so attached to Sodom and he'd lost his relatives, what relatives he had there, because they'd gotten so attached. so when Jesus comes along and he starts teaching about the second coming of Christ you, you got to remember that Jesus gave them information that went back and came to the cross and then from the cross on to glory so sometimes Jesus would compact Some things that was going on presently And then some things that was going on futuristically So I want you to look uh, tonight as we see old Lot And he has lost his wife He has lost his life He's lost just about everything a man can lose All because, all because he had no obedience to God Y'all with me? He, and also, as he goes out, and he don't go where God tells him to go, He instead of going to the mountains, he don't want to live in the mountains. That's too rough for him. That's John the Baptist style. That's not him. So he finds him in a little old bitty city, and God finally ran him out of there and finally got him up there, and they got in the mountains, and they're living in a cave, and he has two girls. You all with me? And those two girls went with him. And we don't know whether they were lost or saved from this incident. Looks like they certainly didn't. They hadn't been taught any morals, that's for sure. They're, they're very immoral, and they think immoral, and they have no godly wisdom whatsoever about them. But you can find in verse number 31, our Firstborn said to the younger, Our father's old, and there is not a man in the earth to come unto us after the manner of all the earth. You see, they had watched in verses 24 through 26, they had watched that city. All those cities that was built down there on that plain, obviously a great farming plain, obviously a wonderful lush and beautiful place because Lot chose it over other parts of Jordan even over the northern part of Jordan. And so when you look at that, you, you you see it all exploding. God exploded it and there's nobody left. Where'd they go? Well they all burn up no they all they, they, their bodies burned up. But they went somewhere else. And the reason God couldn't get, the reason God needed to get Lot out of there before he did this was because lost souls in the Old Testament went to a place called Sheol. Sheol. It's the word for in the New Testament, Hades. It just simply means the place of death. It, it, the, the context tells us what it's talking about. Sometimes it's talking about the lake of fire. Sometimes it is just talking about the grave and dying. And so we know, according to Luke 16, that there really is a place called hell and there was a great guff fixed between it. Now you say, where is that? I personally believe that it is in the center of the earth. I believe that because it is the bottomless pit and the earth it has no bottom. There's a bottomless pit. And I believe that that's exactly where that place was because the scripture said that Jesus went down into. And so I think that's where, and you can argue with me about it if y'all want to, but, um, you know, I can't get in trouble now because I'm not your pastor anymore, all right? So y'all can argue all you want to with me. I don't care. I'll stand hanging there with you. But here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. And I want this new generation and, and maybe even some of us older generation that comes along to understand when these girls finally got here in the mountain and they got together and said, we don't have a man. We'll never get a boyfriend. There'll never be anybody to see us. We'll never ever get a husband. We'll never ever bear any children. We got to do something about that. So, They got him drunk. It didn't look like it was too hard to get him drunk. He looked like he got drunk quite easily and quite quickly. So he gets drunk, and the firstborn goes and lays with her father, and he didn't know it happened. He woke up the next morning. He didn't know it had happened. Well, then the other one, when the time came for him to go to sleep, they got him drunk, went to sleep. She went in. She lay with him and both of these girls became pregnant by their daddy and he didn't even know what happened. I say that to say this. Alcohol and immorality go together. You find me a drinker and I'll show you somebody who'll step out on their wife who will look for women anywhere and find them. I'll show you somebody that has no morals when you show me someone who drinks regularly. It goes together. Immoral. You'll say things you wouldn't say when you're drunk. You'll act ways you wouldn't act when you're drunk. Listen, listen, I'm telling you the truth. You'll spend money you wouldn't have spent when you're drunk. And so there is a great connection between alcohol and immorality. And I'm going to give you, this is the verses here, Genesis 9, 21. If you go back there, you'll find it. Write that down, not 19, but Genesis 9, 21. And then write this verse down because it's very clear. Habakkuk 2, verse 15. Since we don't have a lot of time, I'm not going to make you go there, but I want you to write down Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 15. And so, when you get to Habakkuk, he makes clear that it is connected closely to alcohol. So, he gets drunk, don't even know what's happened, and now he's letting both of his daughters is pregnant by Isaac, not Abraham. And in an incestuous way, so so let, 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 let's look. Let's kind of take off right here. And so uh, th- this drunkenness, this incest that was going on now, they learned that in Sodom. Sodom probably was into bestiality and incestuous relationship and any kind of sexual perversion that you could think of, or oral sex and, and any kind of per- perversion you could think of, that's into it. Well, isn't it? Uh, you could think it. You can't. You couldn't think of anything. It was wasn't going on in Sodom. And so, as you read that, it, they have daughters. These daughters have sons. Of them. One Moab, one Amnon. These became bitter enemies of Israel. And you can find where God said in Psalm 60, verse number 8, that Moab is my wash pot. It really means I wash my feet in that. That's how he felt about their filthy life too. They lived awful. So there's a continual hatred. um, There's a continual murderous spirit here that you find uh, because when they produced women and children, what did they do? They hated Abraham's children too. It just goes on, folks. Your children just keeps carrying it. You cannot sin without consequences. You just can't do it. Every sin, every sin, every sin has a consequence. And every consequence has a telescope. So what do you mean by that? When those consequences begin to develop, they begin to telescope. And they get bigger. And they get bigger. And they get bigger. You see, you cannot sin without it being a telescopic, consequential sin. So we see that. Right here. And so I think God wants us to stand in the gap, not sit in the gate. Now I know I covered some of that last week, so let's jump over to chapter twenty and here we go. I wanna talk to you a little while. How much time I got left? Oh thirty minutes. All right. Here we go. I wanna talk to you about when a Christian sins all over again. Anybody here that hasn't done that? Let's see here. Never sinned? After you got saved. Anybody in here that's never sinned after you got saved? Okay. Is there any, anybody in here tonight who had a strong addiction or strong lust or strong fleshly leading that never, ever even touched that again? That happened me your life? Probably not. Now, I tell you what I have done. I have been able to get rid I went back only one time and never any more to one particular sin, but I just seemed to try it one time and God made me so miserable, I couldn't stand it. And so, has he done that for you? If if he hadn't, you're not saved. Saved people just gets miserable when they disobey God. So, so look here. The truth is that this chapter would be an embarrassment to us if it wasn't for the fact that we all have sinned in the same way Abraham did. We've done the same thing we've done before the same way. Now, so let's look. Abraham's a repeat offender. Now, 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that everything that's written in the Old Testament was written for our example, right? So we take everything in the Old Testament and it uses, uh, we use it for an example in our life and how to live our life because we can look over there where the mistakes was made and we can look over there to where the successes were and where the faith was and where the blessing was but then when you see where the sin was you see it just keep telescoping out so let's look here first of all verse one Abraham's on the move now he didn't go to Egypt he stayed in Canaan at a different location maybe he Moved because of Sodom's ruins, upset. Uh, maybe maybe he just couldn't take that. I don't know. And, and he moved, though, into a danger zone. When you leave, when you leave walking with God, when you leave committed to God, you move into a danger zone. Y'all, y'all get me? You move into a danger zone. And so, we see Abraham getting into a danger zone. And it's a temptation zone, if if you please. A temptation zone. It's enemy territory. Listen, folks, I've got enough trouble with the devil without moving in to where he is. What about you? I know some of you all, pious, the devil don't ever bother you. You just move right on through the line. And let me tell you the people he don't bother, those who does nothing for the glory of God, that's the ones he don't mess with. Why? No need to because they ain't getting anybody saved. They ain't praying. They, they ain't witnessing. They ain't doing anything for God. Why should the devil mess with them. He'll go mess with the folks who's hot for Jesus. And so the devil, when he moves into this danger, uh, he sees 1 Thessalonians five twenty two, we have this verse, I believe, given to us because of sins like this in the Old Testament. It says this, abstain from all appearance of evil. If it looks bad, it's probably bad. Well, people can say what they want to. Well, what? what, whoa, 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 whoa. If it looks bad and it continues to look bad, Probably a telescope somewhere. So let's be careful. Uh, let's be careful. Uh, you see, uh, this these, these baby-killing, sodomite-living, um, entitlement-loving justice system we have today, they don't have a clue what a moral is. Not one thing in Luke 17 that don't fit our time clock today. Can I? somebody say amen to that? It just doesn't. It says that they would see in this, this generation. Jesus was saying, the people who is alive, when I come, shall see all these things come to pass in this generation. Now, he's speaking primarily to the Jewish people, but here's here's what's going to happen. The closer it gets to the rapture, that means that all the things that's happening that the Jews are seeing, then we're supposed to see and know and get excited and be comforted by the hope that's in us knowing that Jesus is just about to snatch us out of our cowboy boots. And so, you say, well, I don't believe that that you can do that because the Bible says that no man knows the day nor the hour. That's right. Nobody knows the day nor the hour but we can know the generation. I don't know what a generation God is long suffering so I assume that his generation is longer than a generation in the Bible. A generation in the Bible starts at 50 years goes to 100 years. Somewhere in there is what generations are described at. Somewhere between 50 and 100 years is a generation. If you look in the Bible and look at the time span, look when one was born, the next one was born, and through Christmas, I hope you'll do that because we just skip over that, don't we? And so he has to see that that time clock is clicking And we see it in the generations. Now, if the generation is not 50 to 100, I believe there's only one other number it could be, and that's the number that God gave Noah. I'll only give you 120 years, and I'm not going to strive with man anymore. Right? Right? So you say, you're going to go, I know what you're going to do. You're going to go down to breakfast. You're going to go down to and get your breakfast in the morning somewhere. And you say, i won't tell you what that crazy preacher said last night. He said that we can know when Jesus is coming back. Well, take your Bible and show them. I don't know where we're the generation. But if we are the generation, then it sure looks like it. Then we're the generation that would be caught up. And we'll see these things come to pass. Well, we're seeing them happen right before our very eyes. God has done everything in the world to get our attention. God's done everything in the world to get the attention of the world. And yet we don't listen. And so we see Abraham on the move. But look, we see Abraham misrepresenting in verse number 2. Verse number 2. Look. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, uh, now they're going down in, and they're going down to Gerar, Gerar or Gerar as it's pronounced sometimes. But look, Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. That meant he put her in his harem. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Sarah must have been a dynamite-looking woman. You say, why? Because she's almost 90. 90. And although I hear men sometimes because they've got a whole lot of money, you know, getting married at 80 and 90, you don't hear too many women. Because they don't want that guy to get their money. They might like a young man to hang onto their arm, make them look good. Well, let's just think about this. She's my sister, so he takes her, puts her into the harem. How did that happen? How did she look so youthful? How did she look so young? How did she look so desiring, if you please? Perhaps God had rejuvenated her body so she could now bear a child. That would be one answer, wouldn't it? Can I, let me throw this in. If a man or a woman has to worry about somebody who's better looking and a better loving, he'll be miserable. Can't trust a woman like that. Marriage is built on trust and a lie will ruin your marriage forever telescopes, telescopes. That's why you see people get a divorce after 30 years, even 40 years, 50 years. It's telescoped. That's what happened. And so marriage is built on trust, but he didn't, he, there was nothing trustable. He lied. He lied. Marriage is to be built on honesty and love, but not beauty. Now, I think you ought to get one that looks good. It's kind of crazy to go get an ugly woman, you know, because you got you know, but I, you remember the old song that the guy used to sing, if you want to be happy for the rest of your life, get an ugly woman to be your wife. You Remember that one? Well, that means nobody else wants her, so you'll take her, and you don't have to worry about anything. So this this love, now listen, I, I, I'm i having a problem with this. When I get to 1 Peter chapter 3, and I've been studying this for a long time, I get to 1 Peter chapter 3, and I see something has changed in their relationship because in 1 Peter chapter 3, and so several years on out from this time, In between this time and the time that Isaac was born, Sarah had gotten right with God. Abraham had gotten right with God. And Sarah had surrendered to the authority of her husband and became totally, clearly, fully honest. No half-truths. You see, this was a half-truth because she was his sister. But she is also his wife. You see, you can cover, I've noticed today people don't like lie. They don't like to be called a liar. And what they do is they justify it. They run circles around it. They, they smooth it over a little bit. They cut the edges off of it where it's not so bad. And that's the way I think at some point they had done that. But now it seems like they're coming back and saying, listen, I ain't not been honest. I had not told you. Uh, what you asked me, I hadn't told you the things that was going on, but you know there was that that hatred between Sarah and Hagar and what happens in 1 Peter chapter 3 could not have happened if something hadn't happened in Sarah and in Abraham's heart. Am I wrong on that? I never heard a preacher take it on, but I decided I was gonna take it on because in the book, When you get over in 1 Peter chapter 3, don't start talking about a marriage until you go back and look at how it started. And look how it telescoped. And look what happened because of it. Not good. But here's what is good. God's restraining order, verses 3 through 6. God performed invisible sovereign restraint and I'm glad he does aren't y'all I mean, let's, let's look at it but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night now Abimelech's a pagan <laughs> he didn't come speak to Lot because Lot's of believer out of fellowship with God those kind of people can't get through they ain't going to talk to him and if you're backslidden tonight he ain't going to talk to you If I'm back, it's not going to talk to me. So look what he said. God came to Abimelech in a dream and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man. For the woman which thou hast taken, she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her and said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? He said, I didn't know nothing about this. Oh, God, I hadn't touched her yet. Don't kill us. And look what he said. She is my he said to me, he's talking to God, he said to me, she's my sister. And she, even she herself said, he is my brother in the integrity of my heart and inner sea of my hands have I done this. And God said to him in a dream, yeah, I know that thou did this in integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Let, let, underline that, underline, it. get your pen out. I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. In other words, if that man had to put him in his harem and he said, I got a new woman tonight and she's a real looker, I'm telling you for her age, I've never seen anybody that that beautiful before. I've never seen anybody, uh, I mean, I mean, I, 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 I mean, she turns me into a hunk of burning love. I just never seen nothing like that. So I want her tonight. But you know what God did? God restrained him. God stopped it. I don't know how God stopped it. Don't know. Maybe some of his warriors came in, said there's some people on the the move. We need to do something. We don't know. But God restrained it. Say amen. Good gracious. You ought to thank God. God's restrained some things in your life restrained it It seems to me that Abraham had given up her for this to occur you got to give up on woman to be willing to allow her to take a risk like that now maybe Abraham had got to the point where he thought he was so spiritual he could take a risk and that God would take care of him. Well, folks, you don't ever get spiritual enough to back God in a corner and say, I'm going to sin, and you get me out of it after I'm through. Y'all with me? So it seems he had given her up. Marriage is to be built there on trust. and Without it, you have misery. Marriage is built on honesty, not beauty. Love is reduced only, Here's what happened. After a period of time, to where there's lies or half truths or just partial truth or just enough truth to get by, look, it's reduced to only the commitment to God, not care and comfort. It just gets the fear out of your life. So God restrained, God put a restraining order on Abraham. You see, it happened back then. I know y'all have had a hard day, obviously. Yeah, but uh, God put a restraining order on him. But you know, God's put a restraining order on all of us in a lot of times. I'm sure glad. Because the second, as we look at this, look at the dream alert. He, he was made aware of truth. He, he was convicted in verse number three. What he had done was grounds for death, and the fear of death brought him under that fright. He said, if I do this, whatever God or whoever God, whatever God it was will kill me. He had a fear of God that obviously Abraham didn't, and he got this in a dream. He got this in a dream. Is it bad that God has to speak to a pagan in a dream over a backslid Christian? Mm. And so, laws are accommodating. You know why that laws are accommodating? Because we write laws to accommodate our sin. <laughs> I just might as well go ahead and make you mad for my leave. I'm going long. Adultery is no longer a crime. If you catch somebody, if you catch your wife in the bed with another man, and you take a gun and you shoot him to death, you know what happens? You go to the penitentiary for second-degree murder. She walks away scot-free. Or vice versa. You see, if it wasn't for God's restraining order, we'd be in trouble. Because adultery is no longer a crime. It used to be. But right now, when a woman commits adultery, a man's hands is tied. Because whatever you do, you're going to jail or penitentiary for it. Or a civil suit against you that'll take every dime you'll ever make. I wish I didn't have to tell you that, but it's the truth. Same thing about homosexuality. Do you know that if it could be proven that you said something negative about a homosexual or you didn't hire a homosexual in a particular position because of who they were, that you also could be taken to civil court and sued there? Nor liquor is no longer a problem. How many of you remember the blue laws? Remember you couldn't buy liquor on Sunday. And obviously there was a time, you know, and they called all those people crazy. All, all those old women and everybody walking around the street holding up their signs, you know, they called them crazy. But I'll tell you what they did. They helped put a little, put a little twist on liquor that it was not right and it was not Good. But it keeps growing. It's a telescope, folks. The first steel that was made still growing. Jack Daniel still grow. You know, you can't pastor in Lynchburg. <laughs> I I got a friend tried so to go to Lynchburg and pastor. Well, Jack, da- Jack Daniel Distillery owns that little old burg of Lynchburg. Own everything there. They own everything there. And by the way, if you work for them, they own you. And if a preacher comes to town and he preaches on alcohol, he's voted out immediately. Because my friend come in, he decided he was going to preach on alcohol. about three weeks, he's gone. Because they said, "We can't do that here, because all the money comes from alcohol, and all, all, all these people get their jobs from alcohol. We We can't do that. They said they used to pour the mash, they used to give the mash to the farmers around there. <laughs> and I've seen this myself only once, but I, my dad used to tell me about it. And he said they'd take that mash out and they'd feed it to the hogs. And the hogs would eat the mash because it would fatten them up. And he said them hogs would be drunker and Cootie Brown. They'd be flopping around a like a hippo. <laughs> but listen to me. Liquor's no longer considered it is considered actually socially correct. If you don't do it, you're not in. <sighs> Lying's not a sin anymore. Did you know that you used, there used to be something called liable suits? That if someone told to lie on you, that ruined your reputation, or hurt your job, or whatever the case might be. You could take them to court, but lying is now accepted because all of our leaders lie. So we make laws to protect us from what we do, which is lie, um, gambling. Uh, it's not a sin anymore, because uh, we made laws to accommodate our sin. Divorce—it's no longer bad anymore. In fact, it's so simple; just get it done real quick, and it's over with, and you go on, and you forget it. No, no, no—you no. don't forget it. You remember that telescope? Now you can get over it, and God can forgive it, and you can get peace. Thank God for that. But it's not over—the produce, the the consequences that it produces continues where it's images in your mind to where it's actions of your life to, to, to where it's a distrust of your partner. Uh, maybe a woman can no, no longer ever trust her husband because of that, even though, no matter how hard she tries. And, and so that telescope keeps working for something now that is just so simple. So I got to quit. And so we're going to move on to chapter 20 and we're going to see That Abimelech had more faith in a God he didn't know than Abraham did, and he was called a friend of God. Whoo! Hey, explain that. I'll show you next week.